Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This podcast is supported by Blue Handle Publishing, a locally owned indie publisher with titles available from local authors including Charles D'Amico and Andrew Brandt. Blue Handle has also introduced its new Book Puma editing services platform, which is an industry-changing approach that's designed to help authors refine their manuscripts and reinvent the way that authors and editors interact. And as someone who's been through that process, this is just a really great idea. It offers a full menu of developmental services from a team of professionals, and Book Puma was even featured this summer in Publishers Weekly. Learn more about Blue Handle Publishing and Book Puma at bluehandlepublishing.com. Today's guest is Natalie Schlabs. Natalie grew up in Hereford and spent several years in Amarillo before she ended up in Nashville. And Nashville is where she has built a career as a singer-songwriter and a recording artist. In fact, she was just back in Amarillo last weekend for a concert at the Golden Light with Ryan Colwell, who himself happens to be a past podcast guest. And so even though this show, Hey Amarillo, primarily focuses on people who live in the area right now... Natalie's been on my guest radar for a while because I know her time in the Texas Panhandle was incredibly influential to what her career has become today. And we talk about that. So I'm grateful she carved out a little time, a few days after the concert while she was still in town, to sit down for an interview. Here's Natalie Schlabs. Natalie Schlabs, welcome to the Hamerilla Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's it's my pleasure. I know that we have been talking about you being on the show for more than a year, maybe two years, yeah. um, but you're not always in this area. And yeah. I was able to interview you during my COVID series briefly while you were in Nashville. That was just eight or 10 minutes. Um, so I'm glad to be here in person with you and glad to have you here. Yeah, me too. I haven't been home since 2019. So it's really, it's surreal to be back, but it's really good. Well, and we should say that, that you did a show um, last weekend at the Golden Light with Ryan Colwell, a former mm-hmm. guest on the podcast, and uh, you're still in town after that, and so <laughs> we're both taking advantage of, of that to, to do this interview. Yep. Um, I want to start the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's to ask how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. I know you don't live here now, mm-hmm. but this, is, this area, at least, is, is home for you, so tell me, tell me that story. Yeah. Well, I was actually born in Hereford, Texas. And despite being in Hereford until I was basically graduated from high school, we came to Amarillo for everything. Mm -hmm. So we just spent a ton of time here. And I really didn't have a lot of connection to Hereford in general because I didn't go to high school there. I was homeschooled. We grew up going to church there until I was 12. And then we came to a church in Amarillo even while living in Hereford. Yeah. Okay. So there was a lot of back and forth driving, um, you know, driving this 45 minutes back and forth since I've been here. I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this used to be nothing. I would just drive, you know, every day. So I ended up moving to Amarillo soon after I graduated. I moved in with my friend Morgan and the goal was to really kind of take a year off because I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I was interested in in doing some cooking and I had thought about culinary school. Um, I was also interested in music and I had been doing a lot of singing growing up at church, 
but I didn't play an instrument yet. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of left me with less options than I would have liked. And I was really nervous of the idea of studying music in school. I'm not, you know, I, I know it can be really challenging for people and I had never been to school at that point. So I was just, it was this big sort of mystery to me. So while I was kind of figuring things out, I had started taking piano lessons and was just kind of trying to figure out if music was going to be, or, you know, any kind of thing in my life besides just a hobby. And, um, during that time, Patrick Burns was in charge of starting the cafe and coffee shop at Trinity Fellowship. That's how he got his start in coffee. Right. And he asked me if I was interested in taking over the food portion of it. So that would be, um, you know, coming up with the menus, doing the orders, um, figuring out the prices, and kind of executing it all in a short order form. <laughs> so, and I had no, besides just cooking a lot, I had no experience in this whatsoever. And so for me, I felt like this is a big opportunity just to try my hand mm-hmm. at food and see, you know, do I like this kind of style of food? Would I be more interested in catering? Um, you know, cause my dad was like, I'd love for you to go to culinary school. I just think you should see if you're really interested in the right. realities of, you know, food prep, because it's not pretty ultimately. So, um, yeah, so I started working with Patrick and kind of like jumped in this big pool of something I didn't really know anything about. I was like trying to figure out spreadsheets <laughs> and how to order enough food. That wasn't part of your homeschool curriculum. <laughs> no, not at that point. Management. So my dad was, uh, my dad's really good kind of off the cuff. So he was like kind of helping me figure some things out. Um, but that ended up being a really it was challenging for a lot for a lot of the time. So I was not I was not making a lot of money. It was probably fine for then. But um I really just kind of got to try out different things and you know, figure out if I really wanted to do food. And I also had to, you know, when we'd run out of things, I had to put together specials. And so I just really enjoyed that challenge and that creativity. Cause I had limitations. We didn't really have like a fully stocked kitchen. We basically had like a little um, microwave oven and like a couple of burners. (laughs) So I really like had to get very creative with how I executed, you know, different types of things. So I had to get, you know, interesting with sauces and aiolis and cheese and just kind of the combinations and making really simple soups and salads and stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of what I ended up doing when I first moved to Amarillo and I was, how long did that coffee shop experiment last or how long were you involved with it? How long was I involved? I think it was, I think it was about two years. I'd have to go back and like do the math. Um, I think it ended up being about two years because right before I left, I started doing some catering on the side because okay. I just was curious, you know, Hey, maybe I'll get into the like wedding market here. Cause my brother was a photographer and he was doing tons of weddings. And I thought like, Hey, maybe I can, maybe I can do that. Um, so I think it ended up being about two years and then I branched off into catering and I did that probably for another year before I ended up moving, I think. But also in that time, I moved in with, um, some of my dearest friends today. It was my friend Shannon Holt and Miranda Parman. And those were some of the most fun and creative times I've ever had in my life because Shannon is a writer And Miranda's done a bunch of different things, but she's also just very smart and, you know, interested in culture and history. And so 
I was doing a lot of writing at that time. I started picking up guitar kind of in the middle of that. And I think it was good too, because it really took the pressure off of music because I was doing cooking. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like I had to have everything figured out with music. So I started taking some guitar lessons um, from Dave Fryer. (laughs) And I really, really didn't like practicing, which I still really hate practicing. I have to kind of trick myself into doing it. So at that point, I was like, I'm just going to, everything he gives me to practice, I'm going to write it into a song so that I'll want to keep playing it and kind of come up with with lyrics. So if he gave me, you know, a certain progression, then like if I don't like playing this B flat or any of these bar chords or whatever, like I'm just going to write into a song to make it fun and for me to kind of keep pouring over it. So that was all happening basically while I was working at Trinity and then eventually into catering. I would be putting things in the oven And I did a lot of my prep from home. So I would be putting things in the oven and then I would go into my living room and I'd have an idea for a song and I would start (laughs) jotting things down and playing. And then my alarm would go off and I would go get things out of the oven. So they were kind of like happening at the same time at my little house on Lois Avenue. But yeah, I was so, I think living with Shannon was a real gift too, because she always was interested in hearing my songs and you know, looking back, they were, <laughs> they were not any good. Uh, I go, I've gone back and listened to some of those voice memos, but you know, she was a creative and she was from here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, there was some things about what I was trying to write about or just what I was pursuing in, in general, she really got. And so she gave me a lot of helpful feedback and we even wrote several songs together. Um, were you still, kind of divided between whether you wanted to go into the food world and catering and whether you wanted to pursue music. I mean, there's a lot of people who can sing and play guitar, Mm -hmm. but they don't always think I'm going to make a career of this. You know, for a lot of people, it's a hobby. Like how, how early were you thinking this might not just be something I'm good at? Well, I think I was also surrounded by some pretty great musicians. I mean, it was both intimidating and it was inspiring at once because There were quite a few musicians at Trinity that were really good. And then, you know, during that time, I had met a few folks who were interested in writing and performing. And also that's when Palace and Canyon started to have shows. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing like David Ramirez and um, I'm trying to think of some other bands. I mean, we saw several bands there. And then I, I think because I was really inspired by the musicians around me, I thought like, I don't really know if I'm going to do this, but I really want to do this right now. Mm -hmm. And I want to see like, if I take myself a little bit more seriously, what can happen from that? You know, could I get on stage and try to, you know, play my songs on stage for the first time when I was still really uncomfortable playing guitar Um, and just see where that lands, which I'm not usually that kind of person. Like, let's just wait and see what happens. But I knew that I really wanted to try it. And my brother was kind of like one of the main musicians in our family and he had moved, um, to Charleston for a job. And so I, and then my, my oldest brother moved about a year or my second oldest brother, I should say moved about a year later. So I was kind of left here and I didn't really feel like I, knew exactly what I was supposed to do, but I kind of felt more free because my brothers weren't like, you know, the better musicians around or whatever. So it was a little bit easier to just try it out. And I still didn't have all my questions answered, but I just was very curious to see, could I get good enough a guitar to play for myself, even though I'm 
you know, already 21, 22, like maybe I should just give this a try. But because I was doing food also, I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I had to take everything so seriously, which really, really helped as someone who takes everything (laughs) very seriously. So I think that was a really good thing to just take the pressure off and just give it a try. But what were some of your first shows? Really just at the palace. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was still singing a lot in church at Trinity. And then when Redeemer was started, I helped with their music there. Um, but yeah, it was really just palace. It would like, I, I got really excited every time I wrote a new batch of songs and I would grab Ben Braidfoot and Thomas Hill. And I'm trying to think of who else. Usually my brother, if he was around to play drums and I would play guitar acoustic and we would just basically have shows there once a month or once every two months, which it was really, really a sweet time there. I mean, I don't know if I sounded very good, but I feel like Patrick was, he was a really cool and inspiring person to be around too. Cause he was very excited about what he was doing. And I feel like he wanted to be supportive of other people and mm-hmm. what they were doing. Um, and you know, we'd also work together being at Trinity. So he was really cool about just like letting me play when there was gaps in the schedule. And, you know, I, I feel like people were also really supportive. So we did draw a crowd because people just wanted to come out and support me. So yeah, that I, I associate that time a lot with creativity. We did a lot of covers too, which was really fun. Um, cause you know, for years I wasn't able to play songs for myself. I had to rely on other people mm-hmm. But as I was picking up guitar, I was like, I can finally play Patty Griffin songs. Yeah. You know, I can like finally play uh, Coldplay or whoever I wanted to at the time. So it was, yeah, it was a really sweet time. But there, there is, I want to ask about, you know, the maybe the difference in your mindset because there are a lot of really talented musicians playing in the church. You know, mm-hmm. every Saturday night, every Sunday sure. morning, who are excellent singers or maybe they're excellent guitarists, maybe they're even songwriters. But they don't always take that extra step and say, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to take this talent and I'm going to write my own music and perform my own music, or I'm going to do covers, you know, at Palace on the weekends. So what do you think about that outlet was different for you instead of just having, you know, the the church music, worship music outlet? Well, I'll tell you, it was actually Ryan, Ryan Colwell, because... I met him when I was probably 12 or 13 and he was, I think he was going to college at the time at WT, if I'm correct. Yeah. And as an economics major, in fact, so weird, (laughs) (laughs) so weird now. Um, so Ryan was pretty good buddies with my friend or with my brothers and then with a mutual friend, Seth Wick. Right. Um, so there was one evening where I ended up at Ryan and Seth's apartment because you know, my parents were in Hereford, so my brothers wanted to hang out and they couldn't drop me off. So I was the tag along sister, just feeling uncomfortable. Like, I'm sure no one wants me here. But then Ryan was like, I, Hey, I hear you sing. Like you want to sing some songs with me just for fun. And so he was playing some of his really early songs. And for people who remember those, it was paint it blue and it was very simple. And so I started harmonizing with him and that, that was definitely a moment that is it really changed the course of some things because he was always really encouraging me and he was really fun to sing with, you know, Mm -hmm. but he was not doing music at church. And so it kind of broadened my horizons of what could be possible or what I could do. And there was some times where he had me sing with him, like at the golden light or some restaurants where he kind of had to more or less sneak me in because I wasn't old enough to go. (laughs) Um, But I remember 
just having so much fun. I mean, and I was just singing songs with him, but that was a moment of like, oh, I actually, it's not just if you move to Nashville and become a country star, like, you know, there are people who are playing music out here and have hopes to kind of have a bigger platform one day. But, you know, I was starting to get the concept of singer songwriter and what that was like. So Ryan was really the first person who exposed me to that, I guess. And so that was part of the question of music is like, do I want to do this in the church or do I want to do this outside of the church? And kind of what are the, the paths that would, mm-hmm. you know, direct those. So at what point did you decide that it was time to leave this area? It was 2013 and I actually had stopped catering at least for a time because it, everything had really slowed down. Um, I was doing a weekly dinner for a church that was pretty helpful financially. Mm-hmm. And they had a volunteer that, you know, was like, Hey, I can do it for free. So I was out of the job. Okay. And then the weddings were just becoming more and more stressful to me because people wanted <laughs> For whatever reason, maybe I just wasn't very confident in selling myself, but they wanted, you know, more things for less money. So right. I was just having to drive my costs down and down and I was not making anything, you know. It was it was like exposure. <laughs> I was telling myself, "Oh, it's exposure." And I was like, "Okay, this is not working yeah. anymore." And I I remember having this discussion with my dad cuz he said, "You know, you're really going to have to kind of plant roots and get more gear, hire more people." you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be serious about doing weddings or if I, you know, I was also doing lunches where I'd make like, you know, 12 sandwiches and I would go and like drop them off at banks and hair salons and places where they didn't really easily get to leave for lunch. So that was also something I was doing. But I remember him saying, you know, I think you're going to have to kind of like start being more intentional with your marketing. You're gonna have to get out there more if you want this to be, because I had just been word of mouth at that point. So because I had been writing so much and I was really curious about what would happen, I just really didn't want to plant roots and catering anymore. It was, it had been fun, but I was just not as interested as I was in music. Um, and so my brother also kind of within the church, he, he was a pastor now and he was, had been doing music in the church for a long time, but he was like, Hey, you should come intern with me. I'll teach you kind of some things, um, that have helped me like in music and whatever. And he was in Charleston. I was like, yeah, I'd love to be in Charleston for three months. So I went and interned with him. And then after that, kind of like, well, it was really a little bit before that I had started dating Josh Rogers long distance. And um, he was living in Nashville at the time. And he didn't move there primarily for music, but had ended up getting a full-time job in music and had been touring Mm -hmm. like crazy. So when I was done with my internship in Charleston, I was trying to figure out where to go next. And my house that I owned was here in Texas, as well as my roommates that I was really good friends with. Josh was in Nashville. <laughs> and then Charleston, I had actually been offered a job at that same church um, to you know, stay there, work with my brother. I talked to David here about coming back and doing some things for Redeemer. So th- there was like these three possibilities yeah. before me. But really, it was, I was like... I want to live in the same town as my boyfriend. Like <laughs> I at least know that. <laughs> so it's healthy for relationships. <laughs> yeah. We had, it, it had been hard, you know, dating long distance. And so I was, my thinking was, 
I don't think I would just move to Nashville on my own. That seems like a really big risk. And I had been told by several people that that would be dumb. <laughs> so they're like, that seems like a dumb move. You know, I've heard Nashville is really competitive and, you know, you have to be really aggressive and all this stuff. And so I basically used dating Josh partially as a chance of like, I'm going to move to this new city where I know one person mm-hmm. and <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get involved in music. And if that doesn't work out, then I'll at least be in the same town with my boyfriend and we can see, you know, where that goes. Um, so that was really the launching off point. And I really don't think I would have gone if Josh wasn't there. I think it would have just felt like too big of a move for me. And but, so obviously your career has, has flourished since then. Um, so did, did the warnings about Nashville, like were those accurate? I mean, <laughs> you, you ended up there, you were able to build a career there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, was, was that something that, you know, the people were right saying you have to be this aggressive, you have to be, you know, have these connections in order to make it work. I mean, yes, it is a hard city to jump into. It can, kind of feel like an enormous click that you can't really get into, or it just takes a really long time to feel like you have people who are friends in music and who will go to your shows and support you and, you know, things like that. But I, I knew it would be a shock to my system going from being in a smaller town where I was getting a lot of support. I felt really loved and cared for by the people who were following my music here. So going from that to absolutely being a nobody, you know, in Nashville, was hard and I figured it would be hard, but it really tore me down to a point where I didn't, I didn't write, I maybe wrote one song for the first year and a half I was there. Mm. And I was living with two other roommates, um, at the time. And one of them was, you know, doing really well in, in the things that she was pursuing. And it all just felt really intimidating to me. And I was someone who, you know, I had very modest goals <laughs> when I moved to Nashville. I thought, you know, maybe I can get a co-write with this one producer that I've worked with and maybe I could end up recording an album there. Maybe I could get a couple of shows. I, I didn't have the grand ideas of getting signed to a label or anything. Um, but even with having low expectations, I was still very shocked. I had some culture shock for sure. And Josh was gone a lot because he was touring. So I I was more or less alone in the city, even though I had a couple of acquaintances. So in some sense, it it was like, oh, they were totally right about this. You know, mm-hmm. Nashville's overwhelming. And um, I don't think I have the drive to really like push my way into this market. I don't know if I can go and like knock on doors at labels on, you know, Music Row and hand out my music or go play my guitar or whatever. But I had a show that I went to, I, I think I was singing with Ryan at this show and I don't even remember why he was doing it or who he was playing with, but a lot of, um, his crew at the time came. Um, and I know Megan McCormick has come with him before to play a show Mm -hmm. in Nashville or in Amarillo. So Megan was there and, you know, several other friends that he had been writing with or whatever. And I, for the first time really saw what a music community looked like because they were all really, really stellar musicians who had their own careers going, but they were showing up for Ryan just because they cared about him and, you know, they respect him. And, you know, previous to that, I had been working at some coffee shops and different things with just a lot of young people who were talking about, you know, YouTube hits or (laughs) Instagram follows. And I just was really overwhelmed by that. So just to see the difference of, you know, maybe people who are 10 years older than me, 
but were really supportive and just um, kind and open. Like they talked to me, they didn't make me feel like, you know, a newbie who they didn't have time for. And that was a moment where I was like, well, if I can find more of this here, then I think I can stay. You know, if I, but previous to, to that, I was telling Josh every time we talked on the phone, like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to get out of here, you know, <laughs> if you don't come home soon. So it's, it's a hard city for sure. But like, I, I think once you get into it and you find your people, you really see that it is a very, very supportive community. If you can find, if you can yeah. kind of whittle down and find the people that have the same values as you in music which I really have now, but it's taken, you know, a good, it took probably four years to find that. And so I, I want to, I don't want to presume that, um, all of my listeners are familiar, uh, with your work and your career. Mm -hmm. So, so give us a snapshot of where you are today. Um, you know, those, those years later after finding that community, after getting some opportunities, like what does your career look like now? I basically kept on with, I mean, after I got over the hurdle of moving to Nashville, I started doing a lot of co-writes, which was um, a big change for me, but it was really, really helpful to get to know people and also just to kind of learn how to write, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I, I had only been doing it by myself, <laughs> and I had sent, you know, Ryan a couple of songs that I was really proud of, and he was like, do you think it should be seven minutes, though? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I had a lot to learn, but I was also just – did not want to be doing it by myself. So I started doing a lot of co-writes and I booked a co-write with, um, Nielsen Hubbard, who's, he's done quite a bit of my music and he's done almost all of Ryan's. And I had met him recording on Ryan's record. And he is also just one of those guys that, um, he just loves music a lot and very genuine, um, very opinionated. <laughs> There's really no one like him, but I started writing with him and we ended up writing, almost all the songs together for midnight with no stars. So that was my kind of debut album mm -hmm. after I had done an EP very briefly. I recorded that EP while I was in Charleston, which right. I didn't mention that. So I basically since then I was, I was doing a lot of um, side jobs and I was nanning a lot at the time. Um, but I made the decision in probably 2016 to quit nanning and just do music. And so I started you know, booking more shows. I went on my first tour I went on was with my friend Seth. We did a, we did a record together because at that point I was just like, why not? <laughs> like I was just kind of taking whatever, um, came to me. And Seth is a really talented songwriter in his own right, but he, he mostly does production and different things for other artists. So we, we booked, um, a tour and we kind of went all around and we came here to Amarillo, even mm -hmm. though it was way out of the way, but Seth had really wanted to come here. I really wanted to do a show here. So I brought this huge band <laughs> and we did a show out at, um, my in-laws dairy farm. We had, the, we okay. like brought in this big stage and like, it was a really magical night actually. Like I, I keep th wondering like how I can try to like replicate that, but it was so sweet. And that was, that was probably my first tour. I ended up doing another one, um, with my friend, the dries. And that was really just more like we stayed like Southeast. Um, and I also just don't really love touring. So I'm like kind of always trying to see if I can make my way out outside of touring. Um, I ended up doing one other tour when I was pregnant with my first, um, Des, and we, I sang backup for an artist named Katie Herzig and Josh played with her and we, it was about 
two and a half months long. So it was a pretty mm-hmm. significant tour. Um, but that's really all I've done in terms of touring. Um, outside of that, I have really been enjoying trying to cheat the system and not tour. Um, but I've been recording. I, I signed with um, some distributors called Tone Tree, and they're the ones that get my music to Spotify and Amazon and all of them and have just been working on trying to, you know, build a career in that direction, getting money from playlists and all mm-hmm. of that, getting plays in the UK has been actually a big one because they actually pay there <laughs> Yeah, when you, when you play or when they play your stuff on the radio. Um, outside of that, I started writing for a company, um, that does personalized kid songs and that, that was, that started in the middle of the pandemic. And that has been really cool. Similar to how cooking the first time was a really nice way to take the pressure off of music. Right. I feel like doing writing for somebody else is actually taking the pressure off of my own music because I'm doing something I'm getting paid for it. But I feel like I've been able to have a little bit more fun with my music because I'm not trying to, you know, survive on <laughs> survive. it. Yeah. Um, so that's been a good change. But recently, I mean, I'm just kind of, I'm still, I'm like on year five in Nashville pursuing music and they call it the 10 year town. So <laughs> I still feel like I'm, building, building, building. Um, I don't feel like I've gotten to a place where I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I found exactly what I'm supposed to do and where I'm going, but I've been kind of leaning into whatever has started to make money or whatever seems to lead to opportunities. And I've basically discovered that I love recording a lot. I love writing and recording. And I wish that was, uh, I wish it didn't cost any money to do that. (laughs) Um, but that's why I've been kind of going down the, the Spotify, Apple, playlist thing because I just have had a blast recording, um, and collaborating with friends. Um, Juan Solorzano, he produced my second record. Don't look too close. And that was a really, really, I don't know. It kind of broke me a little bit out of Americana, I think, because it was, he, he just has more of like an indie rock thing. Um, and so basically for a long time, he's been on anything I record, even if he doesn't um, produce it. So my upcoming EP that's out December 12th, I recorded that with Nielsen, but Juan was there. And it was sort of a collaborative thing between all of us. Um, I brought my friend Betsy in to do uh, vocals. But yes, I I think I'm still just kind of trying to find my way. Um, I've had a lot of really cool opportunities that I don't think I would have had unless I was close, you know? it's weird being in Nashville and having, you know, like I had a night where I sang at the Ryman auditorium and then the next day I went back to nannying. So it's like, (laughs) it does feel like it's a very up and down journey, just kind of like steadily trying to build an audience. But I do feel like Nashville is my town now. And I do feel like I have a lot of creative friends there and I'm having a blast just writing and recording And, um, you know, who knows doing these shows with Ryan has been so fun that I was like, maybe I do want to get back out there and do some tours. You know, I, I, I didn't really like it in the past, but you know, we have a minivan and (laughs) we could all load up in a car. So, um, yeah, but it's just been a journey. It's hard to kind of like explain where it is because it's like, I've had, I've had some amazing opportunities and I've just had some very mundane times too, where I'm just like in the basement by myself trying to you know, I'm staring at my notebook and my guitar is next to me and I, nothing's coming. So I do feel like it's, it's always just an up and down thing. One of the questions 
that I asked uh, Ryan Colwell is, you know, he's found success in Nashville. And I, I wanted to know, like, how much this area, having grown up in the Texas Panhandle, still factors into his songwriting. Um, and so I want to ask the same thing of you, it, it, someone who's continually writing songs, but is drawing from, you know, coming of age in Hereford and kind of finding yourself here in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Like, what does this place, yeah, how, what does it look like as, as you're writing songs, as you're performing? Yeah. How does it influence that? Well, when I first started writing, I went very hard into like, I'm going to write about the flatlands. I'm going to write about my grandpa's farming and like how that play, how that, you know, has affected my view on life. And I went totally hard into that. And then I kind of felt like I was like, eh, I may be copying Ryan a little bit. You know, I didn't really know what my, how I was going to talk about being mm-hmm. back home. So I like totally left it behind. <laughs> like I'm not writing at all about being at home. Um, but it definitely would still find its way into the songs and into my perspective, of course, because I think that, you know, where you're, where you're from and even the landscape of where you're from can have a huge impact on who you are and whatever you do, especially creative endeavors. So I feel like I'm really, um, I've written a lot about becoming a mother and looked a lot at my, you know, parents relationship and, since I became a mom, like seeing my, my family and my parents as like really whole people Mm -hmm. outside of just being my parents. So that was like a really big theme and don't look too close. But I just started writing a song a couple of months ago about coming back here and, um, and kind of, you know, how similar it is to a relationship that you, that you have, uh, done a lot of work in, like, you've fought a lot, you've argued, you've said, you've, you've done a ton of work. So they're like, it's easy relationship Mm -hmm. when you, but when you look at it, you're like, it's not an easy relationship. Like we've had to you know, fight really hard to get here. And I kind of feel like that about Amarillo is it's like, it's not easy to love in some ways because it can have these extreme sides of it. You know, coming back home, like the wind is like slapping me in the face. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been back home in the summer where it's like 105 degrees. I did an outside show last time I was here. Um, It's kind of this, thing where like, you know, generations before me, like they, they had to be really tough and they had to stick out a lot to stay here. So it's not like it's easy, but I also still feel like it's still so easy to love Amarillo. When I come back here, I feel there's a part of me that I feel much more like myself, you know, even though Hmm. Nashville is home, it's like, there's something here where when I see my friends, when I am standing in my parents' backyard, kind of looking out on my dad's, you know, wheat fields, there is a part of myself that I kind of feel like is returning back to me. So I don't know. I I think I'm still kind of figuring out or like, I'm still kind of trying to observe like how that's made its way in my song, in my songwriting. Um, cause it hasn't been on the nose at all. Right. Um, but I also feel like even just having the interest in wanting to write and, wanting to do something creative, I very much think happened because I was here and there's all this open space, you know, (laughs) where you can, you're kind of alone with your thoughts sometimes. And there's not a bunch of amazing places. I mean, I know there are, there are more places now where you can go and like, you can have a great time, you can have great food. But I feel like even when I was growing up, there just wasn't that much to do. And so 
I feel like that openness really led me to start writing like in my notebook, even as a kid, you know, cause there was just no, like, there was nothing. Yeah. And so I was like, you kind of, it kind of beckons you to do something with that. Um, or it, it kind of leads to different thoughts. And so I think even just the, the reason I started music in general was, was partially because I'm from here and I don't know what that have looked like in other places. So yeah, I don't always write about exactly about home, but home is a really expansive idea that has to that has to do a lot with parts of myself that I've discovered. And so being being from here has made its way into my songwriting in many ways, just maybe not super overt, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Hey, Amarillo is also supported by Brick and Elm Magazine, the new hyper-local print magazine I helped launch in May with my publishing partner, Michelle McCaffrey. Our November-December issue is out now. It's on newsstands now, and the cover story is all about words and reading and bookstores. And as a writer, those are just things that I love, things that make me happy, and I'm so glad that, that we can talk about it. Uh, with Brick and Elm. So if you like this podcast, I think you're really going to like this print magazine. Subscriptions for Brick and Elm are just $34.99 a year, and you'll get a print issue every two months delivered directly to your mailbox. And these aren't slim little 30-page magazines. The the last three issues have all topped 100 pages. These things are chunky. Uh, You can get single issues right now at retail locations like Burrowing Owl, Market 33, Ant Eeks, Purpose and Passion Boutique, uh, United Market Street, and select United Supermarkets locations. You can go out to From Six Collective, out toward Bushland, uh, Toot and Totem Packasack also carry it, Barnes and Noble carries it. You can find it all over the city. Learn more at brickandelm.com and subscribe today. Okay, I'm back with Natalie Schlabs. Uh, Natalie, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes wooden arrow shafts and parts of a woven mat excavated from a cave in Paladero Canyon. Uh, these items were likely used by prehistoric tribes who lived there as early as 10,000 years ago in the canyon. Uh, so you can learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Um, so I'm going to start with this question, and I don't know which direction you want to take it. I've been asking this of local guests, um, but what's one thing the pandemic has revealed to you about your community? And your community now is not necessarily an Amarillo community, so answer that one however however you want to. Yeah. Well, I think it has shown me that they are an essential part of my life. I mean... I wasn't able to see them in the ways that I wanted to during the pandemic. There was a lot of time where, where we spent apart, but we were always trying to stay connected, whether it was, you know, Zoom calls or whatever, which was awful, but it was like <laughs> the closest thing we had, you know. So I feel like to me, my community is as essential as food, water, you know, clothing, all of that kind of stuff. Like it's like, this is, I need this to survive, you know. Having gone through it while you were in Nashville, but you still had family here in Amarillo, do you feel like there were some differences in the experience from one place to another place? That's a good question. I mean, I think that lockdowns and and things like that were pretty strict in Nashville. Um, Our church, where I have a lot of community there, like we went completely offline for Mm -hmm. many months. Um, And I don't really know what was happening here, to be honest. I I didn't, I tried to touch people base with my parents and kind of figure out, um, what was happening, but numbers got really high in Nashville too. 
really scary for several points and they were emptying out like any unnecessary, you know, ICU patients and they yeah. were trying to make room. Like it felt really scary. So I don't know. I think that we, we tried to stay home a lot and um, tried to find ways where we could, you know, meet outside distance. And it was, it all sucked, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. terrible, but it was, it was just like, I don't, I want to try to hold on. Like, even if I'm kind of like, grabbing when my knuckles are white like i just want to try to like hold on to my friends and the things that are normal to me in sub capacity so yeah what does this area have too much of wind way too much wind i know you guys can't help it but it's like every time i come home i'm like why do i even bother fixing my hair i didn't today but um it's just wind is everywhere do you roll your eyes when people in Nashville complain about a, a, a windy day of that's course. like 12 miles an I'm hour like, or They something. have no idea, literally no idea, yeah. What does this area not have enough of? I want Amarillo to have like a listening room of some sort. I, I love the Golden Light, and I've had some great shows in Amarillo, but I I feel like if they had something that was kind of a maybe part hotel, part bar, part listening room... I think that would be really rad because um, there are some really great singer songwriters here. And I knew a few of them while I was here and I'm sure that there have been more even since I left. And I feel like that kind of thing could help kind of foster more of the songwriting community in a different way than like a band community. Um, So I feel like if there was a very quiet room where the expectation was you were going to go and you were going to see, you know, local people perform their songs, or you're going to see maybe someone that you haven't heard of from out of town come because you're just interested in their music and how it translates. I think like a very quiet listening room okay. is needed. Yeah. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? <sighs> That's a good question. I I never like I have not perfected the elevator pitch yet, but what I tell them is, you know, it's very flat. You can see for miles and miles there are some places here that are some of the best places in the world that you'd have to really stick around to experience because they're not necessarily going to be on I-40 and that it has some of the best people I've ever met. One of the things that um, I've, I've had this conversation with a number of artists and, and we've even talked about it a little bit off mic is that the the flatness of this area may have like some special creative yeah. component you know that if you live in a place where there's nothing there's a drive to create something and as a result you have a lot of really talented artists here you have talented songwriters you have a lot of musicians who have come out of Amarillo and ended up like you someplace else um, do you think there's something to that that this this kind of landscape maybe fosters creativity in a way that other places might not yeah I really do um, I think that when there isn't the obvious beauty that you know some people, experience beauty in like rolling hills and green grass and all of that stuff. But looking out here, a lot of people saw, you know, like open fields, not really green grass at times. It was not really like an obvious beauty unless they went down to the Canyon or something, which even that is different. It's a different kind of, it's a different kind of magic. So yeah, I really think that kind of the staying here and being a part of the community and kind of mining for the gold here, it very much translates to mining for the gold in your own creative life, you know? And like you said, when there isn't a lot happening, like you have to create it. So I think that 
some, sometimes I think maybe I should go back to Amarillo and do music here because I wonder if I am stifled by Nashville sometimes mm. and, and, you know, kind of the boxes that have been created there. But yeah, I mean, this, this town is, is full of people with really brilliant minds. And I think that the landscape and emptiness really has something to do with it. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? <sighs> That's a really good question. Okay. So I feel like Wolflin is, <laughs> it was always like out of grasp in my, in my mind. Like I was like, I can't ever live there, but I used to love to go on walks or runs in Wolflin, just like park because it's just really, it's really pretty. Okay. Is there, is there part of Nashville that has that feel or a lot of Nashville maybe that has that feel? I mean, the, the older houses. Yeah. So we're about three minutes away from a neighborhood. That's like that very much out of my price range. Um, it's like on the other side of the road. And, um, I absolutely park at the library and we'll go on bike rides and stuff because okay. it's just like house, beautiful old houses that I couldn't afford. Um, and they're all really like different landscapes and, it's just very dreamy and it's very shaded, which I yeah, appreciate. The shade is important <laughs> here and there, I imagine. What's your favorite local restaurant? So it used to be Ruby Tequila's mm-hmm. Rip, but yep. I feel like now I, I don't, I won't say I have a favorite, but I always have to go to Whataburger, which I know isn't just here, but Whataburger, Roses, Sharkies. Yeah. Um, there is another place that I discovered the last time I was here. I think it's pronounced El. El Euro or El Hero? Hero. El Euro. El Euro. Okay. Yeah. Great little taco great place. Great tacos. Yeah. They're like super fresh, really great flavors. I mean, I was really blown away because I don't I don't know how new it is, but um It's been around for quite a while, but it's one of those that is still not on a lot of people's radar. It's wild. It's so good. So that's definitely become a top place okay. for me. And what's your favorite local coffee shop? It's Palace, of course. I have a lot of memories there. And Come back and have like a latte or, you know, just the the coffee of that they, you know, make that day. And it's it's better than what I get in Nashville typically. So And when was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? So my family went and just did some hiking and stuff several years ago before I even had my son. So it was probably four years ago, but we're going tonight. Are you really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a wedding there. So All right. we'll get to be in the canyon. I've never been to a wedding in the canyon. Have you not? I'm Our not. wedding was there. Was it really? It was magical. It was so okay. beautiful. So my husband's childhood friend is getting married tonight and I'm really excited to go back. Great. And you don't have to like cater it or anything, I don't right? have to sing. I don't have yeah. to cater. I just go get to eat the food, <laughs> enjoy the enjoy the place. So. Okay. Well, Natalie, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, I just found out about this place. And I, I think it's pronounced Caliche. Mm-hmm. And it's like a thrift store slash record store kind of place. Slash art gallery. Yes, yes. Slash event venue. It's I an guess. amazing idea. And I when I was living here... Um, I was always wanting a place like that. Cause I was like, Oh, like sixth street and downtown. Like it's so ripe for something like that. And there are some really cool antique shops and stuff, but, um, Lance bought several of my records and he's going to sell them there, okay. which is the only place that, you know, they're sold locally here. And I think it's just an amazing idea and I love what, what they're doing. So definitely if you have not checked this out, I highly recommend it. Yep. I'll co-sign on that one. It's a it's a fun little spot. I'm excited about that. And and other business ideas like that. I'm, we're starting yeah. to see a lot of art gallery slash 
you know, therapy rooms or different Listening things rooms like that. Listening slash rooms hotels. Yeah, yes. All that It's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> well, Natalie Schlabs, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Natalie for the interview. Next month, in early December, she releases an EP called DLTC B-Sides, which is based off her sophomore album, Don't Look Too Close. That's the DLTC. Uh, And a, a couple of singles from that EP have already been released, and they're just fantastic. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode, and to my sponsors, Blue Handle Publishing, Brick and Elm Magazine, and especially Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight every week. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reviewing it uh, on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for telling other people about the show. The podcast also exists because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamorello. Heyamorello's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Chris Zelda, Barbara and Jim Witten, Jess Heredia, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, and Wes Reeves. This has been episode 223. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.